please open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 7. Revelation chapter 7. And let's start today's broadcast, if we may, in verse 1. And after these things I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. And most critics come along. And so there you are. You see, the Bible is archaic. The Bible is ridiculous. The Bible is incorrect. Everyone knows that the earth is round, not flat. But of course, you've got to understand a couple of things. First of all, there are four points to the earth. Northeast, southwest, or northeast, west, south. Light news, what's on the news. The four corners of the earth. The Royal Navy serve in the four corners of the earth. The British Army are deployed to the four corners of the earth. So you see, there's nothing archaic about this piece of scripture. It's simply demonstrating that there are four points to the earth. Again, north, east, west, south, or north, east, southwest. Keep your hand in Revelation chapter 7, in case you're not sure. Go to Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40. The doctrine of the flat earth is returning. And uh, we get some emails every so often about this belief that the earth is somehow flat, and yet over in Isaiah chapter 40, look at verse 22, please. It is he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth, and the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers, that stretcheth out the heavens as a curtain, and spreadeth them out as a tent to dwell in, that bringeth the princes to nothing. He maketh the judges of the earth as vanity. 22, it is he, almighty God, that sitteth upon the circle of the earth. The earth is circular, always has been and always will be. And that's why it's important for those of us which are Bible believers to take the time and show those that are wanting to know more about this great book that we hold to be in the Word of God, which of course is the Holy Bible, and at the same time to be able to refute Bible critics, agnostics. But here, Almighty God sitteth upon the circle of the earth, Third heaven, which of course is far north, and the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers, pretty much insignificant in the eyes of the Lord. Go back to Revelation chapter 7, please. Revelation chapter 7, verse 1. And after these things, I saw four angels, not three, not two, but four, standing on the four corners of the earth, perhaps hovering like you find back in Genesis chapter 1, how these spirits of God, the Holy Ghost, hovered over the face of the deep, holding the four winds of the earth. That's power. Literally restraining the four winds of the earth. That the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. If there's no air, there's no life. And this picture's judgment. We looked at chapter 6 last week, how the men of the earth will hide themselves in the mountains, verse 16 from chapter 6. In the dens, verse 15, and in the rocks of the mountains, hide us from the face of him that sitteth on a throne, verse 16, and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? They know what is occurring, and yet in spite of this awful picture of judgment, they remain defiant, they remain lost in their sins, very much loving their darkness and rejecting the light. John chapter 3. Look at verse 2, please, from chapter 7. And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. 
And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. This is very much a picture to the mark of the beast, which we read about in chapter 13, chapter 13, verse 16. And he called to all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads. So the mark of the beast will take you to hell. But this picture of sealing those that have been spared judgment will result in them being saved. And here John sees another angel, angel number five, ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. Over in Ephesians chapter 4, we read about those of us which have been justified, eventually uh, being sanctified, going into adoption, so on and so forth, that we are sealed unto the day of judgment. And I guess it's like this. If you were to put some food into a jar, like pickles, for example, and seal that jar, those pickles couldn't find their way out because you've sealed them in. They are packed in tight. And that's a picture of salvation. When you get saved, Almighty God seals the jar. He put Noah on the ark with his family and he sealed them in the ark. He shut the door. They couldn't get out even if they wanted to. That's a great picture of our salvation. We believe in the Lord and he seals us. We're not going anywhere. But here these verses are picturing judgments on the one hand to the vast majority of mankind that will live on the earth. And on the other hand, it's a great picture of grace to those that are going to be saved. No doubt based on the Lord's foreknowledge. Verse 4 from chapter 7. And heard the number of them which were sealed. And there were sealed an hundred and forty and four thousand of all the tribes of the children of Israel. And it's just that, the children of Israel, not the church, not the Catholic church, not the Seventh-day Adventists, not the Mormons, not the Freemasons. This is in reference to the children of Israel. The Jews went back into Israel in 1946-47, and they got independence around 1948. And it's quite clear that the moment they went back into Israel, they would have to fight. And now they are back in the land of Israel. They will never leave the land of Israel. They will remain in the land of Israel right up until the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. 70 AD, the temple is destroyed and all of the records going back to Moses and Aaron concerning the Ten Commandments, concerning the tribes of Israel, concerning their genealogies were lost. When Titus destroyed the temple in 70 AD, everything went down. And of course, you know that the Lord is behind that. He wanted to conclude the old covenant and initiate the new covenant. So for 2,000 years, the Jews have been wandering, pretty much rejected, despised by their Gentile neighbors. But around 1945, 1946, like I say, with the end of World War II, the Jews go back to Israel and they rebuild. And they've been there for over 70 years. And they are probably the most powerful nation in the Middle East. And like I say, they are not going anywhere. But this verse from verse 4 is concerning Israel. 
literal descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that's why I'm premillennial. Because as far as I can see, whenever I read the word of God, Almighty God has not finished with Israel. And that's very clear from the book of Romans, like chapter 9 and chapter 11. Look at verse 5. Of the tribe of Judah were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Reuben were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Gad were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Asa were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Nephilim were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Manassas were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Simeon were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Levi were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Isaacah were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Zabulon were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Joseph were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Benjamin were sealed 12,000. 12 tribes giving you 144,000. Literal tribes of Israel. 12 12s. You've got Judah, verse 5. Reuben, verse 5. Gad, verse 5. Interesting that they are also listed in threes. Six, Asa, Asa, Nephilim, Nephilim, Manassas, Manasseh. Seven, Simeon, Levi, Isaacah, Zabulon, Joseph, Benjamin. The Levites have returned, verse 7. And I wonder if the Levites from verse 7 will somehow be a part of the third temple. Dan is nowhere to be found. Dan, of course, fell into idolatry, spoken about very clearly back in the book of Judges and Hosea. And they are sealed. They are plucked up or plucked out of Israel. And their remit will be to, on the one hand, preach the gospel, work with the two witnesses, and on the other hand, picture faithful, believing Israel. But think about this one moment, if you will. At present, we have over six million Jews living in Israel. It could just be that when the tribulation begins, only 144,000 will actually believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and serve him. If you go back to the Gospels, when the Lord arrives, he starts to preach the Gospel, and many reject him. And as you read through the Gospels, you get to Acts chapter 1, and it says around, or just over, 120 people were worshipping together, fellowshipping together in the upper room. Thousands heard the gospel, thousands were healed, many got saved, and yet when push came to shove, only 120 were found in the upper room. That's food for thought. But during the tribulation, the Antichrist will kill many, and once he kills them, once they take the mark of the beast, chapter 13, there's no going back. So out of 6 to 7 million Jews, as of today, only 144,000 from the 12 tribes of Israel are going to believe on the Lord and serve him. And again, this is in reference to literal Jews. Not spiritual Jews, not Catholics, not Protestants, not Greek or Russian Orthodox, not Seventh-day Adventists, not the Mormons, but Jews. Literal descendants from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Look at verse 9, please. And after this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon a throne and unto the Lamb. You've got a picture here of a great multitude, which no man could number, 
meaning there are far too many to number. Let's not spiritualize this, let's take it as it is. Of all nations and kindreds and people, a worldwide revival, perhaps, and tongues, standing before the throne, third heaven, and before the Lamb, capital L, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. They've been martyred. This term for white robes is in reference to those that are going to be martyred, those that refuse to take the mark of the beast, those that don't love their lives, are quite happy to lose their lives in order to save their lives. Somewhat of a paradox, and yet used on more than one occasion by the Lord Jesus Christ back in the Gospels. And they cry with a loud voice, verse 10, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne, and unto the Lamb. There is no salvation whatsoever outside of Jesus Christ. And when I come into contact with non-Christians that are trying to put the case forward, that somehow I am in error, or Christ didn't say what he meant, and therefore I should listen to someone like Muhammad, or an Eastern guru like Hare Krishna, is somewhat of a joke. Because according to Ephesians chapter 2, not only am I saved right now, but my spirit is in heaven with the Lord right now. And therefore, I'm already saved. I'm already in heaven. So who in their right mind would reject that and embrace a dead man who wasn't able to resurrect himself? You'd be insane to even consider converting, quote-unquote, to a foreign religion to follow a dead man. And yet our great king went into the tomb and after three days came up out of the tomb. He conquered death and he did so by his own power as well. I'd like to see Muhammad try and do that. But here you've got a picture of many people being redeemed. Verse 9, verse 10. Probably due to the 144,000 Jewish men, virgins, chosen for service, and such will not participate in immoral religious acts during the tribulation. Back in the Old Testament, there are numerous accounts of the Canaanites doing wicked sexual acts during their religious services. So much so that the Lord not only destroyed them, but he would destroy the apostate Jews for also partaking in such wickedness. Verse 11 from chapter 7. And all the angels stood round about the throne, and about the elders and the four beasts, and fell before the throne on their faces and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving, and honour and power and might be unto our God for ever and ever. Amen. To be saved is wonderful. To serve the Lord is wonderful. But to truly worship the Lord is out of this world. To spend time daily in prayer and in the word of God is indescribable. And that's why it's somewhat uh, heartbreaking when I come across People trying to do religion, people that whip themselves, people that starve themselves, people that turn from the one true God and embrace another God, and yet give the impression that they are happy, that they are contented, when of course you know they are not. They are simply doing religion. They are simply putting on a brave face. But here, angels, verse 11, standing round about the throne and about the elders, which will be the 24, found over in chapter 4. And again, please remember that John, quite possibly, is seeing himself. And the four beasts, cherubim, 
and they fall before the throne on their faces and worship God. Over in John 18, you have an account where Judas comes looking for the Lord and he's got the priests from the temple armed to the teeth, as they say. And when they find the Lord, Judas is able to point him out. He gives Christ the kiss of death. And Christ says to Judas and the temple guards, all Jewish, incidentally, an awful picture of treachery, whom do you seek? And they would say, Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, I am. And they all fall backwards. Now think about this for one moment. You've got enemies of the cross. You've got apostate Jews coming to seek the Jew of all Jews, the King of the Jews, the Messiah. They don't fall flat on their faces and worship him, which is what you should do if you know him, if you love him, but they fall flat on their back. And we see that on so-called Christian television, slain in the spirit, holy laughter, quote-unquote. And of course, you know, if you've ever read the word of God, that such are enemies of the cross, filled with unclean spirits. Also, it's interesting from 11 and 12, how they are worshipping God, singular. The Lamb is present near the throne, and around this time in the book of Revelation, the Lamb has yet to receive his own throne. He's standing next to his father. But chapter 19, he leaves heaven on a white horse, and he comes back to rule and reign to put his enemies down. But here, the worship seems to be shared between the father and the son. 13. And one of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes? And whence came they? One of the elders could be one of the apostles, could be one of the sons of Jacob, answered, saying unto me, being John, What are these which are arrayed in white robes? Who are these that are clothed in white robes? And whence came they? Where do they come from? Now, of course, he knows the answer, and this is typical of what the Lord would do on several occasions. For example, he would ask Philip, how can we feed all of these people? There are thousands. And he did so to see what Philip's response would be. Also, back in Genesis chapter 3, it says how the Lord would call for Adam. Adam, where art thou? He knew exactly where Adam was. And Christ knew exactly how he was going to take care of those that were looking for physical food physical uh, relief but he wanted to draw out faith perhaps from his apostles and god almighty wanted to draw adam out genesis chapter 3 to really see what was in his heart 14 and i said unto him sir thou knowest and he said to me these are they which came out of great tribulation and i washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb sir you know John knew exactly what was being asked of him, and John knew exactly that this elder had the answer. And he says to John, verse 14, These are they which came out of great tribulation, Daniel's 70th week, Jacob's trouble, which has nothing to do with the church whatsoever. The church was raptured from chapter 4. This has to do with Israel and the Gentile nations. These are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Picturing martyrdom. Picturing those that refused to take the mark of the beast. And yet the language is somewhat different from chapter 1, uh, verse 
5. And from Jesus Christ, who is a faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, imputation, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion for ever and ever. Amen. You've got two things. You've got imputation from chapter 1, which is offered to everyone, church age and also tribulation saints. And yet once the tribulation begins, many will be martyred. They will get saved, of course, in the tribulation. They will receive imputation. And many will go on to lose their lives. And as a result, they are clothed in white robes. And their robes are washed in the blood of the Lamb. There's a major difference there between your robes being washed in the blood of the Lamb, picturing martyrdom, like having your head removed, public execution, to just receiving imputation. Revelation chapter 1. Let's keep reading, please. Look at verse 15 from chapter 7. Therefore are they before the throne of God, and serve him day and night in his temple, and he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. Therefore are they before the throne of God. They die in the tribulation. They are raptured, as far as their spirits are concerned. Their bodies sleep, of course. And they serve him day and night in his temple, like priests, if you will. And during the millennium, they will rule and reign as kings. And he that sitteth on a throne shall dwell among them. A great picture of intimacy. Let's keep reading. 16. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. Neither shall the sun light on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them, and shall lead them unto living fountains of waters. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. 17 will come into play. 17 will be relevant. 17 will occur after the great white throne judgment. Which means this. When we arrive in glory, church age saints, tribulation age saints, our sins are forgiven, of course, and we have been glorified. And yet the suggestion is that at the great white throne judgment, we will be with the Lord. We will see what he sees. And we may see the unsaved dead coming to be judged. We may see unsaved friends and family coming to be judged. So it is possible that we may weep. Christ wept over Jerusalem. Christ wept over the hardness of many who refused to believe his message. So it is possible that we too are going to weep. That we are going to share in some of his pain and misery. So 17 verses from Revelation chapter 7. It is a very quick wrap up before I conclude today's broadcast. You've got five angels dispatched to the earth to seal the servants of the living God in their foreheads, which pictures the Antichrist's children receiving a mark in their foreheads. And again, the Antichrist is empowered by the devil, who is a great counterfeit of the Lord Jesus Christ. You've got 144,000 from the 12 tribes of Israel, and no more than that, which is Pretty sad to uh, realize you've got six million Jews, maybe seven, living in Israel as of now. And if the rapture were to come today and the tribulation was to commence tomorrow, only 144,000. 
of Israel would be saved. The vast majority would be damned. Picturing the Gentile nations dying in their millions, dying in their billions, and going off into everlasting hell forever. And yet what can you do? You preach the gospel, you warn people of the coming judgments, and then you move on. Verses 5, 6, 7, and 8. The 12 tribes have been mentioned. Dan is not found, but Levi has been uh, mentioned in verse 7. 9, 10, 11, and 12. A great multitude up in the third heaven rejoicing over their salvation. They've died for their faith. They wouldn't sell out. They wouldn't compromise. And as a result, they are given white robes, palms in their hands. They cry with a loud voice, singular, a picture of unity, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. There's no salvation outside of Jesus Christ. Almighty God sent Jesus Christ to die for the sins of the world. Jesus Christ also sent himself. And Jesus Christ would send the Holy Ghost to comfort us, to empower us, to live for him, to intercede on our behalf. 12, 13 and 14, a great picture of worship and thanksgiving in the third heaven. John comes into contact with an elder who asks John, the question, who are these? Do you know who these are? What are your thoughts concerning those that you are seeing? John doesn't know. Why would he? He's not infallible. He doesn't know everything. He is very much a student, if you will, of the Lord. He is being transported into the third heaven. And even he is having to digest what he is seeing. And the response would be how these are they which came out of great tribulation. They got saved after the rapture of the church. They wouldn't take the mark of the beast, and therefore they were martyred, murdered for their faith. They find themselves up in the third heaven, worshipping the Lord and serving him day and night. That's why they are wearing white robes. 16. They shall neither hunger anymore nor thirst anymore. Neither shall the sun light on them, nor any heat, because the Lamb will be their light, and the Lamb will feed them. He will give them whatever they need. The Lamb is in the midst of the throne, fellowship with them, and finally will lead them unto living fountains of waters. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. But that only occurs after the great white throne judgment. So from being saved to dying to going to the judgment seats of the Lord. Or if you die in the tribulation, you'll be resurrected, chapter 20, to receive crowns or rewards. And you may quite possibly see unsaved loved ones, those that you could have witnessed to and yet chose not to witness to. Could be unsaved friends and family, could be neighbours, work colleagues or just everyday acquaintances. And they'll be resurrected to be judged. They will see you, perhaps, at the great white throne judgment. And they will start to scream out. They will start to weep and wail. And say, I know you. You never told me about this place called hell. You never once witnessed to me. And you will cry. You will weep. So there is a picture there of making your life count. And the lesson, I guess, will be this to... 
share the gospel with as many as you can, when you can. Pray for those that you can, when you can. And then step back. And hopefully when you die and stand in the presence of the Lord, you can say, hand on your heart, that you did all you could. And you won't be found here in verse 17, having tears wiped away from your eyes. And in fact, before I sign out, I should just say that the 144,000 are not Jehovah's Witnesses either. They are the children of Israel, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes, which gives you 144,000 Jewish male virgins. Not Jehovah's Witnesses, not Catholic priests, not Protestants, not you, not myself, not anyone or anything outside of Israel, the children of Israel. So there you are, 17 verses from Revelation chapter 7. Next week we'll pick it up in Revelation chapter 8.